Tired of trying to run your office from home? The Mill Enterprise Hub in Drogheda offers hot desking and office solutions in a supportive startup community for businesses and remote workers. They provide members with 24-7 access, free car parking, 1 gigabit broadband, meeting rooms, soundproof pods for all your Zoom calls, mentoring, podcasting and vlogging facilities. There's no lengthy contracts. Oh, and did we mention there's free tea and coffee too? Email us today to arrange your tour at startup at the Anton Savage Show on News Talk. <laughs> Sorry, Tina, we were in the middle of having a chat there about the joys of fatherhood with uh, the Minister Simon Harris, TD. I should, as in, the joys of fatherhood, comma, with Minister Simon Harris, as opposed to it being a joint thing. Minister, you are very welcome. The reason out. Simon Harris is here is to talk about issues to do with uh, the third level sector. Also, to talk about the National Maternity Hospital and maybe that's where we might kick off is with sure. the issues pertaining to the National Maternity Hospital. We were talking earlier on to uh, a representative for the campaign against the uh, continuation of the deal with uh, the Vincent Hospital Group, that being Bernie Lanan, chair of our Maternity Hospital campaign. And I asked her what, if anything, she would say to you or want asked of you. Here's what she had to say. I would say to Simon Harris, remember the support you got during the repeal vote. Remember the support you gave during the repeal vote. And just think of the people you will be betraying if you sign away our new National Maternity Hospital. Signing away our new National Maternity Hospital by virtue of allowing it to be in part controlled or influenced by the Catholic ethos of those who ultimately own the site. Well, I know Bernie and I really regard her, by the way. And of course, I'll never forget repeal. It was, a, I think, a really important moment to social change. I just think language like betrayal, though, isn't helpful. Um, I think it's deeply unhelpful. And I think even to be quite frank even a question about the influence of the Catholic Church is so mis- misguided uh, it's factually incorrect can you point to me in any way shape or form how there'll be any influence of the Catholic Church the nuns are gone and I'd also say to Bernie uh, and to anybody else who campaigned on repeal I campaigned with Dr Rona Mani on repeal I was in radio studios and television studios with Professor Mary Higgins who campaigned for repeal so I'd flip it why would Bernie think that myself or Dr. Manny or Professor Higgins or countless doctors or politicians who worked with civic society to bring about social change would in any way, shape or form want to do anything to undermine the social progress that we made. And but I, that, I don't think that anybody is saying that you are deliberately seeking to undermine the social progress. But I think mm. a lot of people, Peter Boyle, I mean, you mentioned Rona Manny, uh, the, yeah. the former I master of Peter, yeah. would say it, it, the fact that you have an entity that was created by the religious which is of their ethos, which has both ownership rights to the site and has representation on the board, that may allow over time a pervasive influence that we would not want. It's just factually incorrect. It's just factually incorrect. I mean, let's just take Hollow Street today. So the National Maternity Hospital today Uh, The titular head of that hospital is the Archbishop of Dublin. Now, in fairness to him, he doesn't attend, but he's every right to attend and chair the board. Titular Uh, being the defining term there. But he is the chair. He just chooses not to attend. Uh, A future archbishop could. Uh, I think the parish priest of Westland Row is on the board. I'm open to correction on that. Uh, We don't own it in any way, shape or form. In many ways, this new hospital is actually the secularisation of a national maternity hospital. You will have a hospital that the building will be owned by the state. The licence will be owned by the HSE. The Minister for Health and his successors will have greater levels of legal protection uh, than they currently have in relation to maternity services. Abortion services will be provided. But I was the Minister for Health in this country for four years. And when you're Minister for Health, you never forget one of the most difficult parts of the job is when you receive a notification when a woman dies in a maternity hospital. You receive a notification of every maternal death in Ireland. And one of the reasons we have to move 
this hospital to a co-located site is because we know at the times when things go wrong in pregnancy or wrong in women's health, it is so vital that it's co-located with an adult teaching hospital. Would it be much easier politically to pick a lovely greenfield site and say we'll stick it there at Wood? Would that be the best thing for women in Ireland in terms of health outcomes? No, it wouldn't. But now just exp- explain this bit to me because it, it, it relates to your period as, as health minister. When that deal was being done, there was a lot of back and forth as to the ownership and the land and all the rest of it. And with the clarity of hindsight, it seems now to have been a much easier solution to say, look, let's just put the hands in the state pocket by the site and build it next door. You can still co-locate, but you have freehold. Why was that an impossibility? Because the site wasn't for sale is the long and the short of it. So all of this was looked at in great detail. And I see people talking about CPO this week. And again, I, I'm not dividing people on this. I'm not trying to say people who are against this are, are so bad Ivana people. on this yeah, programme last night or fully, last fully, weekend. Fully accept Deputy Batchik's bona fides on this. But a CPO is unlikely to even succeed because to have a CPO, you have to prove that you can't obtain uh, the facility in another way. Um, it's also something that could go on for a very, very long period of time. But during the negotiations, you must have said to the uh, St. Vincent's group and to the, the nuns, look, give us the freehold. When they said no, what was the well, reason for the no? There was no negotiation with nuns and I'm sorry to have to come back to this, but there was never, a, it's just such a misnomer, there was no negotiation with nuns in relation to the, co- the conversations that took place between St. Vincent's, the National Maternity Hospital, the HSC and my department. All aspects were explored. And as St. Vincent's have said, and I welcome the fact they're going in front of the Health Committee on Monday, I think that's useful. They pointed out that where this, and I think this is important for listeners to know, where this site is located within the Vincent's campus is quite important. This is not about building just and free, a freestanding building. This is actually going to be a building connected, physically connected, joined onto the St. Vincent's Hospital. There's a whole load of reasons, therefore, where it actually makes sense for St. Vincent's and the National Maternity Hospital to collaborate and cooperate. But all so of which could be done with freehold being in the state hand. If, it, I, if, I, if they had agreed, that could have been done. I am absolutely it? convinced after listening to the doctors in Hollow Street, the legal advice available to government through the Attorney General, that there isn't actually any improvement in terms of women's health, in terms of the delivery of health services, in terms of protecting the state's investment from freehold rather leasehold. I really don't believe so. Well, let me give you an example from, I remember years ago when you were on the um, Public Accounts Committee, Mm. you raised an issue that pertained at the time to Vincent's, which was, if I remember rightly, Vincent's used the hospital as security on debt for investments in the car park, which was at that point using a public asset, that being an acute hospital, for private, as as security for a private investment. You, as a member of the PAC, were red in tooth and claw about how annoyed you were that this had happened. Surely you're now presiding, or you and government are presiding over, the exact same paradigm, a situation where that which is in state hands remains sufficiently enough in private control that there is influence. No, I I don't accept that. But I also don't accept that the phrase influence, uh, the phrase influence there is is used as a negative. We actually want there to be a very close relationship between St. Vincent's and between Hollow Street or the National Maternity Hospital. Because when a woman goes into the maternity hospital, and if that woman requires the assistance of an acute adult teaching hospital, the two hospitals need to work hand in glove. What happens at the moment is the woman in Hollow Street waits for an ambulance to arrive. And doctors in Hollow Street will tell you the length of time that this can take between discharging a person from the hospital, getting the person in the ambulance, getting the ambulance to St. Vincent's, getting the person out of the ambulance. 
is significantly detrimental to the health outcomes. The idea of Vincent's and Hollis Street working together is not a bad one, by the way. It's not a negative one. It's a positive development in terms of women's health care in this country. I do think the last two weeks have been useful. It would have been wrong for the Cabinet to kind of ram this through. I do. No, I really do. I really. Do I would have thought they would have been deeply frustrating. I assume that when you walked out <laughs> as being Minister for Health, you thought that is a done deal. No, and, I, and I'm, I'm humble enough, to be honest, or not arrogant enough to, pres- to presume that we got everything right in relation to this. The deal, if we can call it that, is now improved because when I was health minister, I set out in the door three things that needed to happen before this deal could proceed. Clinical independence, protection of the state's investment uh, and governance structures that worked. The, the, the arrangement now is much improved on the original one, much improved in terms of the length of the lease, much improved in terms of the structure of the board. But, but at some point, being in politics is about making decisions. Um, and I actually think the bigger, the bigger problem here will actually be if, God forbid, in years ahead, something goes wrong in terms of women's health care and women's health outcomes and we haven't delivered on the national I do want to talk strategy. to you about the university but, sector I'm yeah, conscious of that sure. but just let me ask the, the one question that the um, simple one that keeps coming up again and again on, on Twitter which is that issue or rather on text which is that issue of the sale do you have clarity why it was not purchasable? The real reason it wasn't purchasable is the land wasn't for sale. But why is and that? And the reason the land, and it's for St. Vincent's, we'll explain this at the committee, but my recollection from my time as Minister for Health was that where the site was located within the campus and would be so physically attached to the St. Vincent's building that they didn't wish to sell the land. They did sell the land, for example, to the Breast Check uh, Clinic because that was a kind of parcel of land at the periphery of the site that there was a view that actually the land... But it's, it's a simple geographical challenge. It is to do was, with that, the physical that, that, that was always what was outlined to me as Minister for Health and St. Vincent's will outline more to the to the Oireachtas Health Committee on Monday, which I think is useful. Let us talk about the university sector because sure. you have been in, in the news a lot recently about the university sector on a number of things. You've talked about the snobbery in respect of the uh, university degrees. You've talked about uh, how we handle grant supports and all the rest of it. Can we start big? Over the last number of years, Irish universities have gradually and inexorably slid down the rankings lists from a position where we could take pride in being top 50, top 25, depending on how you look at it, to we're not even scraping into the top 150 in the world. How do you sort that, never mind all the other issues? So what we did last week is the answer to that. You invest properly in it. For over a decade, if not longer, politicians have been ducking and diving the question of how do you adequately fund third level education? Um, We've now called it. We've named the figure. We've worked with the European Commission and we have identified collectively that we need to put 307 million euro more into the university sector. I believe that can be done in the lifetime of this government. There's three budgets left in the government. What difference will 307 million euro make into your question? For example, in most European countries, for every 15 students is one staff member. In Ireland, it's for every 20 students is one staff member. So the 307 million euro will make sure that the Irish higher education system is funded to a level uh, that equates roughly to Sweden and some of the best funded third level education systems uh, in the European Union. That will in turn uh, absolutely bring us up the rankings. But as you rightly imply, properly funding the higher education system is vital. It's, it's really key to our future economic and social well-being, but it can only be part of the reform agenda. The bigger part of the reform agenda has to be how do we create a fully integrated third level system where every single person in this country whether they're young or whether they're old has multiple pathways to where they want to get to where we don't put this ridiculous level of pressure on young people at 17 and 18 and you can see it etched on their faces what are you going to put in the CEO how many points do you get in the leaving search that we look at the fact that apprenticeships are third level we've just decided to not necessarily tell people that for a long time and that we look at pathways between further and higher education and that we recognise 
that as we go forward, more and more people are going to need to dip in and out of education at different stages of their life. So there's a lot of change that's needed to Before we talk apprenticeship model, go back to the uh, the, the rankings. What's your, your ideal end position? Is it that we have a jewel in the crown like an MIT and then a second tier of all the other universities? Is it that we get back to be top 50? Where do you think we should be? So I think we can get, I think a country the size of Ireland uh, can't mislead people. We're not going to have all our universities in the top 100. But I believe it's eminently possible to get two Irish universities in, into the top 100. Um, in fact, one of them, I mean, one of them bobs in and out of it from time to time. Um, so I think I think a country like Ireland should aspire to have two universities in the top 100. I also though think beyond that, we should have all of our universities looking to be the top at something. So, for example, it's not just about being in the top 100 overall. Why We should also have universities that want to be specialists and world leaders and European leaders in certain areas of speciality. And did we hamstring them back in the day, albeit for, for uh, laudable reasons, but the removal of fees created a situation where a huge cohort of people who could afford to pay no longer had to in the hope that it would drive and that there's there's limited evidence as whether it was successful drive a, a greater level of college attendance uh, among those who would be on the, the uh, margins. It, has it worked? I'd look at it a different way. I think the Taoiseach deserves great credit for recognising that we needed a department dedicated to further and higher education because I think what's happened in the past is these issues have gotten lost in a department that has to also worry about primary schools and pupil-teacher ratios and all that good stuff. So I don't think when it came to budget discussions, when it came to cabinet discussions, when it came to even having a civil service fully focused on these issues, we did enough in the past. I, I don't I don't accept in any way, shape or form uh, that fees are the way forward um, in terms of increasing fees or in terms of going, let's say, the American route uh, in terms of people coming out of college heavily indebted. I believe Dun O'Malley, the, the argument you put forward there was exactly the argument that could have been put to Dun O'Malley about second level education. Lots of people can afford to pay for it, just increase the scholarships. The reality is, if you see education as a public good, uh, if you see education as key to our future economic well-being, well, then you invest in it. And I mean, we made big decisions in the last couple of weeks to rule out increasing student uh, contribution fees, to rule out introducing the student loan system um, and to actually say, no, we, the people of this country, are going to invest more in higher education. It's 307 million euro more. It'll bring the budget for higher ed to above 2 billion. It's a lot of money, but it's not an insurmountable sum of money to get in place over the next couple of budgets. I mentioned on the hard shoulder yesterday evening when I was talking to Kieran Cuddy that you would be in and Kieran asked me on his behalf to ask you a question, which was 50,000 um, brickies, sparks, chippies mm. all needed to build all of the houses that are due under the current government plans. How exactly are you getting all of those? So, Kieran will be glad to know it's not 50,000 new people. It's about a net, it is 50,000, I think it's 51,000. It's a net figure of about 34,000. So when you take the number of people we already still have. Still a lot. Like, oh, still a lot. And I'll get to that now. But, so by 2030, and it's a by 2030, right? So by 2030, we need to have 34,000 more people uh, trained in what we traditionally call the trades, right? So brickies, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, also retrofitting. Um, if we're serious about the climate agenda, how are we going to get there? A couple of different ways. One, changing the CAO process. So for the very first time this year, when six-year students go onto their CAO website, they actually see the traditional CAO options. They see further education training options and they see apprenticeships. So that's the beginning of the cultural change that needs to happen. The second, we've just set up a new initiative with the Department of Social Protection, where we're looking at people who have been out of work, including a lot of people who've been out of work for a fair amount of time and helping them get back into construction. The third thing we're doing is rolling out new apprenticeship programmes, providing businesses with cash grants of up to two grand per apprentice per year that they take on. That's showing signs of working. More apprentices registered last year than ever before in the history of our state. And can I ask you, whenever we talk about the apprentice model, the, the sure. country that is 
always cited is Germany. Yes. But to some extent, it, it is a, a, a false equivalence because Germany has a s- several centuries long of an industrial heritage, the like of which is not that we do not have very successful manufacturing in the country, but we don't have that embedded sense of industrialism that Germany has. No, that's true. But the, but the beauty of the German system is there's a parity in the different education routes. So if you have two kids and one kid decides to go the, the, the university route, the academic route, and the other kid decides to go the vocational education route, it's, it's viewed by German society that both have equally succeeded in the education system. We're not in that place, Anton, in this country. It's too snobby a system, it's too elite a system, and it's too narrow a system. You meet kids and the first question they're nearly asked is what university do you want to go to? Not what do you want to do with the rest of your life? So this is the old <laughs> thing of, ah, you went to the tech because you couldn't get yeah. in. So I, I want... I want every young person and every person in Ireland to be able to access third level education. And I want us to say to them, there are different but equal ways of accessing it. Uh, And that's a statement of fact that you can get your qualification through the apprenticeship route, you can get your qualification through the further ed route, you can get your qualification through the university route. And we value them all equally as a society. Interesting question. Uh, Something uh, of a a tangent, but an interesting tangent nonetheless. Please ask uh, Minister Harris when Ireland will be joining CERN. It's so humiliating for the scientific community here that we are the only country in Europe who have not joined this cutting edge scientific facility for a country that prides itself on being a tech hub. It's staggering that we are still not members of CERN. Yeah, I'm I'm positively disposed to that question. Joining CERN, though, is only the first step. You have to actually then I don't don't want to join CERN and just say, look, didn't we take the box? Didn't we join CERN? We need to bottom out exactly what the impact in joining CERN will be in terms of the investment level required. It's something I've tasked my my team with doing. I I do share the view, though, I think it would be advantageous uh, for Ireland to be part of CERN. We uh, were talking before the or during the um, news about parenthood. How are, are you still keeping the home open for Ukrainian family? How would you balance that with two small kids? I, I am. Um, I am. And I, and I, I don't I don't overly talk about it because I don't think it's that big a deal in a way. Um, I mean, we were all. Asked. Most parents of small children think they have enough on their hands <laughs> without taking <laughs> in additional well, whether people. Anyone, whether anyone wants to live in my house is another question. But uh, no, I mean, we, 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 we have said like like thousands and thousands and thousands of people right across the country that we ha- we ha- we're lucky to have a spare room in our house. And if somebody wants to use it, it's there, it's there to be used. Um, obviously the Irish Red Cross have a process that they're going through now um, a very extensive process a lot of work to be done my understanding is they're starting with vacant homes uh, people who might have a holiday home people might have a second home working their way through that government is also looking at a and how we can provide kind of more sustainable models of housing um, and, and, and look, spare rooms um, will be a part of it. And if somebody wants our one, then they're welcome to it. Simon Harris, thank you very much. That is the Minister for Further and Higher Education, Innovation and Science, Simon Harris, TD. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.